Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Just how supernatural is your worldview? Although you claim to be a Christian, do you secretly think that if you personally have not witnessed anything overtly supernatural in your lifetime, then the supernatural probably doesn't exist? Do you try and find a rationalistic, naturalistic interpretation for every passage that you find odd in the Bible? And what's the proper context we need to have in mind when we attempt to interpret a passage in the Bible? Is it uh, the early church fathers? Is it uh, the Reformation? Is it uh, someone else? I mean, what kind of context do we need to have in mind when we attempt to really unpack what a passage in the Bible says? Now, I got to warn you, ladies and gentlemen, today's show may rock your view of the Bible. It will certainly give you a a much deeper appreciation for what I found in reading the book that we're going to talk about today, for the interconnected tapestry that the scriptures are. And my guest is Dr. Michael Heiser. I hope you've heard of Dr. Heiser before. If not, you're going to hear from him quite a bit today, and you're going to be able to really dive in with some resources because he's written a fabulous book. It's been around for about four years now. I've just been through it in the past couple of months myself. It's called The Unseen Realm, Recovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible. He has several other books as well. In fact, I've read about three of them already. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. In in fact, there's a new book that's perfect for a young believer, somebody who's just become a Christian. It's called What Does God Want by Dr. Heiser. But today we're going to talk about uh, this book, Unseen Realm. Dr. Heiser has his PhD from the University of Wisconsin Madison, the Department of Hebrew and Semitic Studies. He's taught at many schools and seminaries around the country. He's done a lot of work with the best Bible software on the planet. It's called Lagos. I've had it for 20 years. Phenomenal. And if you really want to go deep with Dr. Heiser, in addition to his books, you've got to listen to the Naked Bible Podcast. Write that down. Naked Bible Podcast. It's great to have Dr. Heiser on with us. Mike, how are you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And I'm excited because this book is really a worldview changer to a certain extent. I mean, we all believe in a supernatural worldview, but potentially not to the extent that the Bible really teaches. So I want to start in the passage that rocked your view of the Bible, it's mm-hmm. Psalm 82. You were already a Bible scholar, as you say, when, when you discovered yeah. this passage. And yeah, let I was me, not I'm just a gonna, newbie. You were not a newbie. Yeah, you'd, you'd been a, a Bible scholar teaching at Bible colleges and seminaries and that kind of thing. And this passage rocked your world. I'm just going to read the first two verses and then you take it from there. This is Psalm 82, ladies and gentlemen. This is from the ESV. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Unpack that for us, Mike. What's going on there? Yeah. I mean, I I was confronted with this in in a good way. Uh, A few minutes before a church service, I had a friend, we were at Wisconsin 
another guy in the Hebrew department. And I don't know what we were talking about, but I'll never forget what, the way the conversation ended. He, he had his Hebrew Bible there and he said, look, you know, you need to read this in Hebrew. And I did. It, it's not very difficult Hebrew at all. Uh, you know, the, the Hebrew is Elohim. That's a very familiar term for God. Elohim Nitzav Ba'adat El. So God, capital G. And we know it's a singular capital G God there because Nitzav is a singular participle verb form. So that's easy. You know, God has taken his place in the divine council. And then the next line is the kicker. You know, in the midst of the gods, Bekerev Elohim. It's the same word, Elohim. In the midst of the Elohim, he holds judgment. And I looked at that in Hebrew for the first time as a doctoral student. I had a couple of graduate degrees. I taught for five years, you know, on the college level. I looked at that and I thought, well, that looks like a pantheon. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, I don't remember what the church service was. I don't remember anything. I was just, I, I couldn't believe that I had never seen that before. But again, providentially, I also had the thought, well, I'll bet Jesus knew that verse. I'll bet Paul mm -hmm. knew it. I'll bet the, the writers of the New Testament knew it. And so somehow there must be some way that this verse makes sense in the context of the uniqueness of the God of the Bible. There is none like him. And that just set me on a path that became part of my dissertation, really oriented, you know, my dissertation. And it took me down all sorts of rabbit holes. But I had to, you know, I had a moment, I had more than one moment where I, I just had to look at the text and think to myself, am I willing to read the Bible the way an ancient person, the writer, the original writer and their readers, their original readers, am I willing to look at scripture for what it is, what it was to them, the way they, they would have read it and abandon my, my traditions, the things that I had been taught traditionally Hmm. Uh, in churches within the context of, of evangelicalism. Am I willing to do that? And, you know, I, I, I took the jump and I have never regretted it. Yes, it has, you know, cost me a, a friendship here or there, probably a ministry opportunity here and there, but it has, it opened the scriptures to me like nothing else has. And so when I say in the book and when I go on interviews, I say, look, if you read Unseen Realm, you will never look at your Bible the same way again. That is not marketing shtick. That's real because that's mm. what happened to me. And I know it. I, I, I understand that the, the trepidation, you know, parts of the book will give people in passages like this. But there is a way to unpack these things and to, to understand them. I'm a normal evangelical Trinitarian deity of Jesus guy. But the way I get there might be completely different. And if we have arguments to defend those positions and, and other you know, doctrinal positions as well that I know are easily undermined, uh, you know, I, I will say so. I will destroy that argument for you and give you a better one. And, and that bothers some people. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But, uh, you know, it, it forces you to ask questions about how you approach Scripture. And you began the show with a big one. You know, once you get into this, it's like, am I really willing to believe that the gods of the Old Testament were real, that these national gods, and, and, and this becomes the basis for Daniel 10, the, the, the supernatural princes, becomes the basis for Paul's principalities and powers. Those are geographical terms. It's not an accident. Um, you know, am I willing to, to follow these, 
these trails and really look at the world, the supernatural world, the way the biblical writers did, because you're not taught this in church. No, you're not. And you're not even taught it in seminary much of the no, time. No, you're not. Yeah, that, and that's, that's part of the issue. In fact, it almost sounds like polytheism, and we're going to get there after the break. But before we get there, Mike, can you just give us like a 90 seconds on who is the divine council? Who's in it? Yeah. The divine council is, is academic jargon derived from passages like Psalm 82, verse 1, for the members of the heavenly host. These, these beings that God, the God of the Bible, created to assist him and partner with him in running, you know, the heavens, the, the supernatural world. That's really all it is. You know, the, what, what rattles people is a verse like this. You know, we don't like to have the word, the, the word G-O-D and put an S on the end of it because it, it, it creeps us out. It feels like polytheism. And that's because we have been trained to look at the letters G-O and D on a screen or in our Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and attach mentally a specific set of unique attributes so that you can't put an S on it. That is not what the word Elohim meant to an Israelite. There, it has nothing to do with a specific set of unique attributes. How do we know that, Mike? Do we just have to take your word for it because you have a PhD? No. No. You in actually fact, you're do something explain boring. It. I- yeah, you, you, you do something <laughs> boring. Like, look up all the references, the 2,000 of them, and read through it. <laughs> well, hang on, hang on. Don't go anywhere, because that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. Who is in this divine council, and is this polytheism? I mean, what does this do about Jesus? If we're going to say there are other sons of God out there, isn't Jesus the unique son of God? How does all this fit in? We're talking to Dr. Michael Heiser, his book, Unseen Realm. You need to get it right now. You can get it in Audible. You can get it in Kindle. You can get it in hardcover, paperback, whatever you want. We're back in two. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined Podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button, or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. Welcome back to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. If you're low on the FM dial looking for NPR, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. In fact, you're never going to hear this on NPR. My guest is Dr. Michael Heiser. Before I get back to Mike, I want to mention I'm going to be down at Grace Community Church in Sarasota, Florida. All five services Saturday night tonight and the three services Monday, uh, sorry, Monday, Sunday morning. Um, so Saturday night and Sunday morning, I'll be at uh, Grace Community Church. All the details are on our website, crossexamine.org. Just click on events. You'll see Frank Turek calendar there. And that's down in Sarasota. So if you're in the area, I'd love to see you. Back to my friend, Dr. Michael Heiser. His groundbreaking book, Unseen Realm, is what we're talking about today. And in the first segment, we were talking about the shock that came from reading Psalm 82. You can also read this in Psalm 89, by the way, and other places in uh, the both the Old and the New Testament, actually, that there's a pantheon of gods, small g. And uh, Mike, before the break, you were explaining who's in this divine council. And in the book, Unseen Realm, you talk about six different kinds of spiritual beings who are referred to as Elohim in the Old Testament. Yep. You want to pick it up right there? Yeah, and that's the key. You know, if you actually look up the term, you realize that, hey, the biblical writer used Elohim of, you know, five or six things that are not the God of Israel. And so that should tell you immediately 
that Elohim has nothing to do with a specific set of unique attributes. Because if it did, they couldn't do that. Mm. You know, an example is like 1 Samuel 28, 13, the disembodied dead, you know, the spirit of Samuel is called an Elohim. You know, the, the, the medium at Endor said, you know, Saul says, what do you see? And she says, I see an Elohim coming up out of the ground. Okay. You know, you have the, the gods of the nations. They're called Elohim. You have, you know, these beings here in this council, they're called Elohim. You know, there, there are things that are clearly not the God of Israel that are Elohim. So it's, it has nothing to do with omniscience, omnipotence, you know, eternality, all these attributes that are uniquely possessed by the God of Israel. We get that theology, not from the term Elohim. We get the theology from the way this one particular Elohim is described and the fact that the biblical writers deny those attributes to all others. Hmm. So what Elohim actually means is it's a word you would use as a Hebrew writer to describe something that by nature is a disembodied member of the spiritual world. That's all Elohim means. So there's lots of Elohim. Okay, but no other, none of them are Yahweh, the God of Israel. Yahweh is an Elohim, but no other Elohim is him. And that's why, you know, Jesus is unique too, because Jesus is Yahweh incarnate. You can have mm-hmm. multiple spiritual, you know, supernatural sons of God, but only one of them is Yahweh of Israel come as flesh. Okay. So our theology, you know, is, is perfectly intact. It's coherent in relation to the biblical text. But when we get to passages like this, we just freak out. And so what, what the evangelical <laughs> impulse has been is, well, the Elohim here, they're just idols. Really? Like, like idols work for God? Does right, that make any yeah. sense? No. They're, oh, they're just people. Well, if you go over to Psalm 89 that you mentioned, it has the same council terminology and the same terminology you'll find here in Psalm 82. Well, it says it's in the skies. And the last time I checked, there wasn't a bunch of humans or Jewish elders or whatever ruling from the skies. It, 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 these are just things that, these are interpretations you'll run into in commentaries all the time that make no sense at all. But, but they're derived because of this impulse that if we, if we look at them as supernatural beings, then we're polytheists. No, 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 no. You know, it, it, we just have to put some thought into it. And critics... You know, the, the, the liberal critics, you know, of Scripture, they love Psalm 82. They are all over passages like this because they believe that Israelite, you know, bi- the biblical writers now, not just Joe Israelite, but they believe that the, the biblical writers themselves, Israelites, evolved in their thinking from primitive polytheism to monotheism. Now, you say you There's reject that idea. I reject that. And in yeah, fact, why? that was actually what my dissertation was on. Huh. You know, this whole, this whole, and, and to, to my advisor's credit at Wisconsin, I mean, he was Jewish. Uh, he, I, he wouldn't have been, I mean, he would have bought into this idea, but I, you know, it's hard to know what, what he would, what label you would give him, but he let me do this. So, you know, credit goes to him. But I began to notice that, look, if this evolutionary trajectory, this neat trajectory that you just grow up with in graduate school, this is what you get. This is axiomatic in graduate school. Why is it then? That in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have almost 180 references to plural Elohim in those texts, because that's supposed to come in the intertestamental period. And, and, and by that time, they, they, the critics usually credit this to Isaiah, that he was the one who made the leap to monotheism and that everybody you know, fell in, in the line. Mm. Well, 
you, here you have centuries later, you have a bunch of Jews, and these were not like liberals. The, the people out at Qumran were, were super conservative. I mean, they broke from the Pharisees, for goodness sake. You know, I mean, these are not just, you know, right. Jew by name only. They were serious people, but they've got 180 references to plural Elohim in their text, and they don't think anything about it. It doesn't mm. bother them. So why not? Well, the answer is because they know Elohim just means a supernatural being. Of course, the, the spiritual world is populated with supernatural beings, but only one of them created all the other ones. Only one of them is sovereign. Only one of them is omniscient. Only one of them is omnipotent. And that one is the God of Israel, Yahweh of Israel. So again, these things, it, it, when you go through it, it sounds like, well, how could anybody miss that? Well, they miss it because you are just sort of taught an evolutionary perspective in a secular graduate school for how to look at Israelite religion. And for sure, there were Israelites who were polytheists, you know, newsflash, the Old Testament tells us that. That's why we That's had the right. exile. Yeah. Okay. But the, the, the question about the biblical writers, you know, being part of this, you know, this, this idolatry, that's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's, it's, it's internally contradictory when you actually look at the text and when you look at these texts that are outside the Bible and, and for what they were thinking theologically. Now, now, people might ask, well, who cares? You know, what, what difference does it make? Hmm. Well, it, it makes a lot of difference if you are going to read your Old and your New Testament the way that a biblical writer would have. And one of the key texts here is Deuteronomy 32.8. Now, the ESV does a nice job here because it incorporates the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, it says, when the Most High divided up the nations, he divided them up according to the number of the sons of God. But Israel was Yahweh's portion. Jacob is his allotted inheritance. So what you have here at Babel is you have an event where God is fed up with humanity. Have you ever asked, asked the question, by the way, why is it that all the, everybody in the Old Testament story seems to know the one God? And then like after you get to Abraham, every, you know, you got all these other gods. How did that happen? Mm. This is how it happened. Deuteronomy 32.8. God decides to punish humanity for not dispersing. You know, he repeated the Edenic command, you know, once we're on the other side of the flood and they don't do that. They gather at, at Babel. Why? What are they doing? They're, they're making a tower. Well, who cares? Well, it's a ziggurat. Ziggurats were part of temple complexes. You built one to bring the deity to you, to localize the deity, to control it, to barter with it. That's why you made a temple complex and a ziggurat. And God says, oh, this really isn't what we had in mind here. Okay, I'm not going to be tamed. You don't call me. You know, I, I'm the one who runs the show here, and you don't seem to be getting the message that I want. The, the, you know, Eden to spread throughout the earth. You know, we, we're we're going back to the Edenic plan here. You don't seem to get it, so goodbye. God divorces humanity, and He divides them up by language and by nation, and then He assigns them to members of the heavenly host who are lesser than Him. Now, initially they were supposed to be placeholders. They're supposed to rule the nations according to God's character and justice. This is what Psalm 82 is about. They fail, they rebel. They turn their, their nations into chaotic messes. Yeah, it you says learn they, from they, Deuteronomy. they rule, they rule yeah, unjustly. They, they, yeah. Unjustly. I mean, they, yeah. they, they create national level geopolitical chaos. That's mm -hmm. what they do. And, and Deuteronomy 32 says they also seduce the Israelites, Yahweh's people, into worshiping them. They become you know, they, they, they become rebels. They, they turn against their, their maker. And this is what you have. And this explains the whole Old Testament. This is why the Old Testament after Babel is, you know, 
Yahweh against the gods and Israel, you know, against the nations. Because what does God do right after he divorces humanity? He calls mm. Abram. My, he starts this is over. Such, this is such a, a revolutionary thought th that you've come up with here in Certainly, I didn't. I never thought about it this way, and I know probably a lot of our listeners have haven't. But as you continue to 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 go through the unseen realm, and we're talking to Dr. Michael Heiser. His book is the Unseen Realm. You need to get it. Trust me, you need to get it. You can also go to moreunseenrealm.com. That's the companion website that goes along with the book, and uh, you need to listen to his Naked Bible podcast. But you point out, and I want you to unpack this for our audience, Mike. You point out that what happened at Babel is reversed at Pentecost. Can you can you yes. go there right now? Yeah, if if you have what I call the Deuteronomy 32 worldview in your mm -hmm. head. And 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 this leads to something that scholars call cosmic geography. That the nations outside Israel are under the dominion of hostile gods, spiritual beings that are real, and they sow chaos, you know, th throughout the nations. They were supposed to come back through Israel. This is what the Abrahamic covenant is. This is why Israel is the kingdom of priests. But again, they fail. And you know, eventually they, Israel turns to idolatry. They get sent into exile. And 10 of the tribes are scattered throughout the known world. Well, at Pentecost, the neat thing about Pentecost, now how many times have we heard this passage preached, but you never, you never see what's going on. If you look at the, at the names, they proceed from east to west, and then they fork out when you hit the Mediterranean. But they, they cover all of the regions that were disinherited at Babel, mm. and that, except there's one outlier, and that's, that's Tarshish. Tarshish is the only geographical place or region in the, in, the, in the list of nations in Genesis 10, which are the nations that Yahweh you know, divided the, the, you know, the people into and then put them under, assigned them to lesser gods you know, who become corrupt. And, and this is why this is this is why Tarshish becomes a factor in Paul's ministry later. You say, mm. what's Tar? I don't remember reading that. Paul wants to go to Spain. Right. He actually writes the Romans before he even gets there while he's in prison <laughs> and says, look, I'm going to come to visit you guys, but I'm only going to be there a while on my way to Spain. This is Romans 15. Why does Paul care about Spain? Is he like the food? You know, it, it doesn't make any sense unless you, until you realize he, he wanted that's to go. Tarshish. He wanted to run with you know, the bulls. Come on. Right, right. He wanted to run with the bulls. You know, he was, he was a lunatic. You know, we could see him doing that. But, right. you know, it, it's like in Paul's head, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm the apostle to the nations. And my task is not complete until the gospel reaches Tarshish because the nations will be reclaimed. Wow. Now, hold that thought, Mike. We're going to come back to it. For those of you listening right now, you're probably going, I never heard this before. Yeah, neither have I until I read Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. You need to get the book, obviously. You need to check out his uh, podcast, Naked Bible Podcast. And we got a lot more today, so don't go away. You're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in two. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Do you believe in an unseen realm? Many Christians say they do, but when push comes to shove, they try and, uh, and, and even scholars do this, they try and, and obscure what appears to be clearly taught in the scriptures that there are other gods, small g, than Yahweh. But what do they do? Where are they? What's what's going on with them? And that's what Dr. Michael Heiser unpacks and unveils in the book Unseen Realm. And Mike, just before the break, we were talking about how what happened at Babel is reversed at Pentecost, that God disinherited the nation's in Genesis 10, and he re-inherits them in Acts chapter 2. And then you were relating that to Paul, Paul wanting to go yeah. to Spain. So pick it up right there. Yeah, you know, it, it, and it's actually bigger than Pentecost. If you read the book of Acts, the, the, the gospel goes to odd places. Hmm. You know, why, why does it go to Samaria? Why do, why do we have, you know, chapter 8, you know, with Ethiopia? Why do we have Philip, after he's done with the Ethiopian eunuch, transported supernaturally to Azotus? Like, where's that? You know, why is, you know, what's up with these places? All of these places are in outlier areas of regions of the land that was supposed to be inherited by Abraham. You know, and it's only after all of those bases are covered, Damascus is another one, that we get Cornelius and the gospel turns to the Gentiles. So we take the Jewish stuff first. We get, we, we, you know, the Luke's wants to make the point, look, the gospel goes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. I mean, it, it follows, it acts, actually follows the pattern that Paul gives you in Romans one. And so when Paul becomes the focus, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He is driven by this sense that, okay, the gospel has gone now to the the ethnic children of Abraham, every place that, you know, they were supposed to inherit and all that. And, and now I am the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he sees Pentecost as the beginnings of this, because what happens at Pentecost? You have Jews, and the gospel Jew first, also to the Gentile, okay? Mm-hmm. You have Jews gather at Pentecost from all over the known world. They hear the gospel. They see the outpouring of the Spirit. They, they embrace Jesus as Messiah. Then they, what do they do? They go home. So, so you have the gospel planted in all of the nations. And again, if you read it from east to west, you can see the pattern. And, and Paul is conscious of all of this. The gospel has now penetrated through the Jew, just like Abraham, the, Abraham's descendants, was that, that's what they were supposed to do. And now we can be, you know, God's going to begin reclaiming people from all nations. And then he's compelled, you know, to, to finish the job, complete the task, get to Tarshish, and, and then, then we're good. Well, he reflects this notion of supernatural geography, really, uh, you know, geography under dominion of hostile evil forces in his language. Now, Paul does occasionally use the word demon. Demon was a generic term in the New Testament era, kind of like Elohim was 
in Old Testament for uh, just any spiritual being. So mm-hmm. Paul does use the, the word demon a few times. He uses it in 1 Corinthians 10, 21 and 22, where he quotes Deuteronomy 32, 17. There you go, Deuteronomy 32 again. Mm-hmm. Paul believed demons were real. And if Paul accepted those beings were real, those beings are the geographical entities that Deuteronomy 32 talks about, the gods of the nations. They're hostile forces of darkness. You know, yeah. Mike, I, I always thought, and and this is another revelation from your book, that say a god like Dagon, who falls over in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, that, that, that's just an, an idol made by human hands. But you're saying... It is. It's made the by idol, human the hands. The idol is. Right. But that idol, they thought, was... was uh, the the presence of the the god of yeah. of the what Philistines. We're missing, what are we we're missing? missing is the logic of idolatry. Uh-huh. You know, the, ancient Egypt had this, Mesopotamia had this, other other you know ancient Near Eastern civilizations had a ceremony where they would they would create the idol and then they would open the mouth or open the eyes or you know the, they they had this opening of the mouth ceremony. That's the that's the big one, where they believe that that through ritual acts, you animated the the statue. And you say, well, how'd that work? Well, they believed that the entity, the spiritual entity, would, in the course of this ceremony, attach itself or inhabit the object. Hmm. You you made this object to localize the deity. And Mesopotamian texts will tell you that when, like, like if they took this out to battle and it got destroyed, that doesn't mean their God's dead. They just build another one to, hmm. to get him back. So, the, so they so had... The, the two the, the, thoughts were connected, the entity and the idol, but they were still separate. So the God of the nation inhabited, they thought, the idol. Right. This is why you, you know, like Baal, there's there's hundreds of Baal spots all over the ancient world. Baal of mm-hmm. this, Baal of that, mm-hmm. you know. So they were they were making places for Baal to live, like vacation homes. Okay? <laughs> okay. You know, little temple complexes mm-hmm. or shrines or idols. Because they they wanted the deity to visit them, is the idea. They they know very well that they made the object. What made it significant was the belief that the supernatural entity would inhabit the object or attach itself to the object. Now the question and then, is, and then is sanctify that place. The question's going to come from just our listeners. Well, Mike, why would God create these sub gods, these sons of gods? That he knew would turn against him. I mean, I guess you could ask the same question about Satan. Why did he do it this way? Well, you, you could ask the same question about humans. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, God doesn't need anything. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need a council. He doesn't need the church. Mm-hmm. Okay, God is a creative deity. He creates things, in this case, beings that are like him. He shares his attributes. With humans, he shares his attributes with intelligent supernatural beings. Why? Why does he do that? It's not because there's some deficiency in God. It's because God likes to have these intelligent underlings, you know, these beings that are lesser than him, but that he deems important enough to create. He likes them to participate with him in doing what he wants done. Now, one of the attributes he shares with them is freedom. God knows, you know, what this can lead to. He's not surprised. You know, I, I like I like, my illustration for this is first came, or first Samuel twenty three, the incident at Kila, where God foreknows two things that never happen. So that tells you that foreknowledge does not necessitate predestination. 
you know, I'm not an open theist and I'm not a Calvinist. I'm something in between. I don't really care about the labels. What I am right, is what the too, text yeah. says I ought to be, okay? Mm-hmm. That, that we need to affirm that God foreknows these things are going to happen. His foreknowledge doesn't necessitate that they do. You know, even the Reformed Creed says this, God knows all things real and possible. Well, if he mm-hmm. foreknows the possible and they don't happen, that by definition, they weren't predestinated. You know, it, it, it these simple things that we kind of, we kind of mime and we mouth and we, we just don't even really examine you know, intellectually and think about. So God's not surprised by any of this. But, but the neat thing is, despite the fact of knowing where this was going to lead, God, in, in the, especially in the human case, God decided that he would rather have the fallout, pardon the pun, of sharing his attributes with human beings as his intended partners with him where he lives in Eden, God comes to earth. He would rather have all of that fallout than never have us at all. Mm. That's God's choice. We can get mad at God for that because evil causes suffering and evil you know, just, just stinks. Okay. We can get mad at God for that, but we have to realize that in, in God's head, as it were, you know, to use an anthropomorphism, he would rather have that than never have us at all. Mm. And, and I'm willing to live with that. You know, sure. if, if God is willing to live with that, I'm willing to live with that too. And you if, know, so, if, if, if we have a moral objection to the way God's doing it, we're presupposing a moral standard, which is God's nature. So it's kind of self-defeating. Yeah. We, we cared about things ultimately more than God did. Like, really? Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it right. is, it, it's, it implodes on itself, you know? So all of this stuff, you know, like in, in Paul, Paul's going around, you know, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Again, he knows what his mission is. He knows why he's doing it. He knows when he goes into a territory, what he's up against. He's not up against mere demon. See, the other, the other thing that Christian demonology does is it conflates all the bad guys into one category. You know, the, the, Demons, like you see in the Gospels, are different critters, if you will, than the geographical entities, even though you can use the same word to describe them, just like Elohim. If you put them all in a, in a, in a group, there's rank, there's a pecking order, there's, there's differentiation in power and ability and scope, you know, and what they're about, you know, all that sort of thing. But th- this, Paul's principalities, powers, rulers, thrones, dominions, you know, princes, what do all these terms have in common that he uses for the powers of darkness? Yeah, they're all they're Elohim. All, they're yeah. all Elohim because Elohim yeah. is just your spiritual being. But in their vocabulary, both inside the New Testament and outside, all of Paul's main terms are geographical in nature. They denote geographical or regional dominion. And that is not an accident because Paul's demonological world, his world of supernatural darkness, is derived from Deuteronomy 32. He's not making one up on his own that he just likes. He's getting it from the, from the Babel event. And he knows when he goes into a place that it, you know, a Gentile city, that is under the dominion of a hostile God, okay, of a, of a hostile spiritual being. But what does he do? You know, this, I, this is one of the cool things in the New Testament, what Paul does. When Paul talks about the resurrection, he does this like five or six times. Instead of talking about, I mean, how do we talk about the resurrection? When we talk about it, it's like, oh, I get the perfect body. I'll never have to lose mm. weight again. Oh, I'll, <laughs> you know, I'll be this and that. It's all us focused, you know, which is, mm-hmm. you know, normal. But what, what Paul does is he connects the resurrection and the ascension 
to the delegitimization, the nullification of the principalities, powers, rulers, thrones, and darkness. Now, you know, I, I can't get into the story. It was fun, but I, I did a pagan podcast one, one day. Like I, I, had a, I had a pagan contact me. He went by the name Hercules, believe it or not. When you get an email hmm. from Hercules, you probably answer it. Yeah. So, you know, I went on this guy's show, and for the first 10 minutes, he's going through Greco-Roman texts that describe the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. And he goes, this is why I wanted to have you on. He goes, it was so exciting when I read your book. So I can finally have this conversation with somebody, you know, this worldview. And and he said, now I noticed that, you know, biblically, if Yahweh of Israel is the one that set this up, what does he want? That was his one question for the podcast. It's like, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Hmm. I'll tell you what he wants. He wants Paul, a guy like Paul, to go into a city and say, look, I know what you Gentiles are thinking. You're thinking that the gods you worship are allotted to you by higher up gods. And that if you ever depart from the worship of those gods, you're in heap big trouble. Well, I got news for you. The most high is the one that set up this arrangement. And the gods you worship used to be loyal to him, and now they're disloyal. And the God, the most high, became a man in Jesus Christ, died on a cross, rose again, and ascended to heaven. And he is now telling you, you are allowed, not only allowed, but he insists that you come back to the most high. Don't go away, ladies and gentlemen. We got more with Dr. Michael Heiser. That's who you're listening to with me, Frank Turek, his book, Unseen Realm. Get it right now. We're back in two minutes. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type cross-examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. How supernatural is your worldview? Probably not enough if you actually call yourself a Christian and believe that the Bible is God's word, then you probably need to get unseen realm because much of what you have been taught about this is probably not correct uh, when it comes to a pantheon of gods, small g. And uh, we've been talking to Dr. Michael Heiser, his book, Unseen Realm, his website, D-R-M-A-S-H, that's for Dr. Michael S. Heiser, dot com, D-R-M-S-H dot com. And everything it links to that website. Uh, you can also listen and should listen to his podcast. He's nearing 300 episodes at Naked Bible Podcast. And yeah, before we go any further in Unseen Realm, Mike, you got to explain to people why you call it Naked Bible Podcast. This is <laughs> this is not. It's clickbait. There's, not, there's nothing. There's nothing nefarious going on here. But no. explain we, the naked part, please. Yeah, I, I wanted to call it that because what we're trying to do on the podcast is to get people to look at Scripture only, uh, and mm. what I mean by that is try to read Scripture through the original contexts of the ancient writer and the readers. So we strip away, again, pardon the pun, we strip away, Mm -hmm. you know, things like creeds and denominational confessions, really denominational barriers. Uh, The the one really pleasing thing about Unseen Realm is I have emails that thank me for the book just across denominations, anybody who takes scripture seriously on its own terms. So we're not filtering it through, you know, 
any particular creed or doctrinal statement or denominational preference list. That's why we call it naked. We're just trying to take it for what it is in its own time period and go with that. And if you want a lot more on this topic and many other topics right now, Dr. Heiser is going through the book of Exodus. So verse by verse in the podcast, the podcast ranges anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours. It just depends on what the topic <laughs> is. So go to Naked Bible Podcast and uh, check that out. He's, he's got a wealth of information there. And, you know, one other thing, Mike, before we go back to what we we're talking about before the break, I want this to be absolutely crystal clear because this this is one of the biggest takeaways from the book. And the it's answered or you can answer it by just answering this question. What is the proper context in which to interpret a biblical text? <laughs> the context that produced the thing, you know, the uh, like, like I say in the book, the, mm-hmm. The right context for interpreting the Bible is not, you know, 20th century or 21st century evangelicalism. It's, it's not, not the medieval oh, no. Catholic Church. No, it's not no. the Reformation. It's not the Puritans. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not the rabbis. Okay. All of these things are post-biblical. They are contexts that are post-biblical. They come after the New Testament era. So the right context for interpreting Scripture is the context of its original writers and readers. And it if you had the Israelite or the first century Jew living in your head, you would read scripture a lot differently. And again, that, that's what I had to force myself to do. And you say, oh, I can't do that. It's, you know, how in the world could I ever do that? Mm. Well, you know, you have tools. Believe it or not, you have more at your disposal to help you do that than anyone living at any other time in human history. You know, even through something like Logos Bible software, I'm not going to kid you. Okay, there's a four-letter word associated with with being able to have the Israelite in your head, the first century Jew, and that is work. Okay, mm. it's going to take you effort. But if you think you can't do it, you're wrong. Okay, I am the I. You know, I maybe sometime I should just give my testimony here, but I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I became a Christian when I was in high school. I had no academic background. I had nobody in my family that went to college. My biological dad did, but he left us when when I was five. I mean, I had no direction at all. I, yes, I have fancy degrees. I went to the Ivy League. I have a PhD, you know, all this stuff. I do translation work in a dozen languages. Whoop-de-doo. I am the result of five minutes a day, every day. If you just do that, you learn one new thing about the context of Scripture every day. In a year's time, you're going to know lots of stuff. In fact, In if they listen, time, yeah, you're, 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 you can do this. Mm-hmm. In fact, Naked Bible Podcast will help you do that. But let me ask a question related to that, Mike. I mean, some of the insights of Unseen Realm really can only be gained by a pretty intricate knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. Now you have all that, so you can do it. But, and and this question may require a bit of speculation, but why do you think God created such a complex revelation aspects of which, you know, can only be known through the specialized knowledge that very few have? Yeah. God, God made a choice when to give a scripture, you know, Mm -hmm. first millennium BC, whatever it is, you know, all the way through, you know, Ultimately, you know, why was that a good choice? Or, you know, we we can't really answer a question like that because God would have to explain the the list of choices and why he made that from all the options. Right. The fact fact is that 
in the context, and language is one of them, that God chose to do this. Hebrew and Greek are not a mystery, okay? Hebrew and Greek are just like any other language. There, there is a semantic range for words, and words are often used metaphorically and symbolically. We do this every day in every conversation we have. We just don't think about it. So the key is really to have that in your head that, hey, you know, the literal reading, the one that would pop into our head that for a one-to-one -one correspondence, often isn't really the best one. Maybe the writer's thinking something else or both. Just to have that thought in your head and then have access to resources. You don't have to go out and get graduate degrees. What, what my mission is in Unseen Realm, and I, I say this in the introduction, it's the, the dirty little secret of Unseen Realm is that Mike really never had an original thought. Okay, what, what Mike does is he takes the labors of scholars, the fruits of high scholarship in biblical studies from all quarters, not just evangelical, but everything, and he winnows that stuff and makes it decipherable to the person who is not a specialist. Hmm. That's the mission. I will distill the content for you and hopefully present it in a way that it's coherent and you can follow it so that you don't have to go into debt and get degrees. It's just not necessary. And what I try to do on the podcast is we have scholars on all the time. I look for scholars who are trying to do something intentional with their content for the local church. Mm. There aren't that many of them. Okay, guys like Daryl Bach can come immediately right. to mind. I mean, there are some out there. And so I... When I run into them at conferences, it's like, can you be on the podcast? Because your my my audience will learn something from your content, and you are able to communicate, you know, what you're doing to a lay audience, and it it, it just come it goes right in the bucket. It goes Wait. right into the five minute a day bucket, you know, for you're, my audience. You're rare, Michael, because you are a true scholar. You know all the languages and all the uh, ways of. Uh, understanding the text that an average person doesn't, but then you can communicate to the average person. So you're, you're doing both. I try, I don't know all the original languages. I had Greek 25 years ago and hardly ever use it. And I didn't have much of it. Uh, and so I have to rely on, on others like yourself. And I'm trying to take the same thing, normally more in the apologetic world and make it understandable to the average person. That's my goal as well. Now, it's really ladies, important. <laughs> it is. Now, well, let, 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 let me say this, because people may not know this. Unseen realm is understandable to anybody, but it in some areas, it's a little bit technical. You're going into, you're diving into the weeds on some issues. If you want maybe less of the technical aspects and just the the general worldview that you're communicating, yep. they can get read the book Supernatural. Supernatural. It's, it's, it's kind of a summary, I guess you would say, of Unseen yep. Realm. Is that a good way of putting it? Yep. It's, it's a distillation of the major themes. Okay. Yeah. The, the title is Supernatural, What the Bible Teaches About the Unseen World and Why It Matters. Man, we're like almost out of time here, Mike. We got like two minutes. Can you kind of what? sum up what yeah, let, let's, you... Let's just throw in the one thing about like you know, the, the, the reclaiming of the nations and the believer's destiny. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Paul, Paul as the apostle, of the Gentile is just rooted in this worldview. You know, I, I have, I, I'm the person that God's going to use to, to kickstart the Abrahamic covenant, and reclaim the nations. He knows this, he's conscious of it. He knows what he's up against. He, he, he equates the resurrection and the ascension with the delegitimization of the authority of these hostile supernatural entities, the gods of the Old Testament, over their populations. You know, the, the resurrection 
gives those people the right, the authority, they're not violating anything, to come to the Most High through Jesus Christ. So he preaches this, but then he throws in other concepts like he links that process and calls it the fullness of the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. When, you know, when, when God's done gathering, then that's like a trigger for the Lord to return. He talks about, well, what happens to the nations? He, in 1 Corinthians 6, he, he's, he's arguing with the Corinthians about, will you, will you please stop taking your, each other to court and, you know, all this kind of stuff. He goes, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? Don't you know this? And you say, what, what, what's, he talk, what's he talking about? Well, who's he? T- He's talking about these spiritual forces who are over the nations now. We're going to displace and replace them. Believers are ultimately going to be the reconstituted family of God and the reconstituted council of God. Everything will return to the original plan in Eden. This is why Jesus in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, quotes messianic psalms, not about himself, but about the believer. Mm. To him that overcomes, I will give, you know, the, the morning star. To him that overcomes, I will, you know, he, he will rule with me, rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's messianic psalm, you know, right there. And he, he's, he's talking about believers. To him that overcomes, I will put him over the nations. Well, who's over the nations now? The powers of darkness but not for long. And again, this is what Psalm 82 is about. Psalm 82, he's talking, God is talking to the gods and says, you know, you're corrupt, you're evil. What in the world is going on here? You get down to verse six and he says, the speaker's God. He says, I said to all of you, you are gods, Elohim, every one of you, but you're going to die like men. And then the last verse of the Psalm, the psalmist says, arise, O God, you know, take back the nations. Mike, we've got to finish this in part two. We're going to do part two in the next week or two. So this is amazing stuff. Dr. Michael Heiser has been my guest. His book, Unseen Realm, you need to get. Just go get it. Check out his website, drmsh.com. Everything's up there. Naked Bible Podcast. Do it now. Back next week. See you then. God bless. We hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you think our podcast needs to reach more people, here's what you can do to help. Go to iTunes and type cross-examined official podcast, four words in the search bar, and leave us a five-star rating. It'll take you less than five seconds. And if you have a few more seconds to spare, leave us a positive review. The best reviews will be featured on future episodes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. God bless. God bless.